0: Welcome back in. Thanks for joining us, DJ and PK. DJ is off today. I am PK. Appreciate you joining us. Lincoln Kennedy coming up. Football Fridays here on the Zone Sports Network. And coverage of the Las Vegas Raiders game against the New York Jets on Sunday is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of of the officials Raiders debit card same great features and benefits and now with the silver and black learn more at americafirst.com slash Raiders Lincoln Kennedy who does the radio what would you call it Uh, commentary expert commentary Lincoln how do you want me to phrase it
1: (laughs) you know what it's just it's just good to be with you man there was a lot of there was a lot of K's thrown around when you came back from break so I kind of had to keep up how you holding it down brother (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> we're doing well flying the ship solo take on a different role my, as dj says my role is to shoot spitwads in the back of the bus and uh, <laughs> so that i have to step up and drive the bus uh, Sir, you've been in radio good. so you know how that goes i do i do yeah, yeah i've been doing this for a long time so yeah. well that raider game last week was uh interesting in that you know i thought the falcons weren't as bad as they had been showing. And sure enough, man, they obviously put it all together. Uh, you've been around football. You've played it since you were a boy, all the way up through the highest level. You're Gruden. How do you react to that?
1: Well, the only thing you can do is to put that game behind you and move forward. And now you've got an old and what 11 team. I lost track of where the Jets are. Um, yeah. and that you have to go to New York and play. And the fact is, is that... The Raiders haven't beaten the Jets in New York since '96, I think. And the last time they won at MetLife Stadium, that was against the Giants, was in 2010, if, if my memory serves me correctly. So you got to put that game behind you. But the thing is, is that this is in reflection to the Falcons. You know, ever since Raheem Morris and his staff took over on an interim basis, the Falcons have responded. I think now they're currently four and two. Everything has gone down from the amount of points they've given up, um... Uh, to the amount of points scored, and everything else, and they're they're trending in the right direction. And of course, the season might be too far lost to try to resurrect it, but they could still be dangerous. They play the Saints this week, and so we'll see how that comes out. But with all that being said, you know, uh, there's no simple way of putting it. The 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 Raiders got smashed, and they got smashed in a way that they were that they hadn't seen in quite some time. And what I mean by that is, I believe. Not only were the Raiders outplayed on, on uh, at least the offensive side of the ball, but they were also out, uh, outcoached on the offensive side of the ball. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the, the Falcons took away a lot of the signature play that the Raiders had ran and had success with up until that point. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 I thought the Raiders were going to make adjustments because they never really got into any type of even flow if that makes sense as the game went on. Um and even after halftime, which they've done, you know, time and time again, they didn't they didn't have any adjustments to answer to what the Falcons were doing. They were still stymied on offense and then even as the defense played a lot better than I really expected them to play, they held the Falcons to three when they were put in backed-up situations time and time again. They held the Falcons. They were still in the game. But Derek Carr became pressed and the bottom fell out. So it was a disaster that you want to put behind you and move forward. And I'm hoping that they put together a good enough game plan to go out there and take care of business against the Jets because I know Greg Williams and his defense will always be ready to take on somebody.
0: You know what was crazy is I think that I could argue certainly uh, this season, not necessarily of his entire career because I can't recall it, but I could I could argue that Carr the week prior played the best he's played all season, and then you followed up with that stinker. We look at what defines greatness in really any sport, and we'll just obviously stick with the NFL. And to me, greatness is defined by consistency. And if you have that, then you are great because anybody could get hot in a, right. a given game or what have you. But the ones who do it, you know, whether it's in basketball and they're doing it 75 out of 82 or, you know, they consistently hit 300 in baseball over a 10-year period and whatever in football, you know, that, that's the definition of greatness. How do the Raiders find that consistency?
1: Well, the thing is, is I'm not going to put this blame on Derek Carr. I'm, no. I'm, I'm actually putting the blame on guys that I have respect for and up front. I think the offensive line of the Raiders got manhandled in that game. Right, I, I, they got pushed around, and they, they have been, even though they've been maligned with injuries and a, and a bunch of misfortunes, they still have to some extent been somewhat of the strength of this team. The, their their level of resolve. But you know, this isn't on. To me, this isn't on Derek Carrs. I, I look. You know, when you think about the quarterback's responsibility in today's game, there are a lot of guys who can take over games. You see what Russell Wilson can do when he improvises. You see what Patrick Mahomes can do when he's out there. Um, you know, all the greats, Aaron Rodgers, so on and so forth. We, we sometimes want to, uh, we want to elevate our quarterback to that level before they're deserving. I think Derek Carr having a tremendous year. And prior to last week's game, I would sit there and say that he could probably be in the conversation for all pro, maybe MVP, depending on how you want to throw it out, because I think there's a couple other quarterbacks out there that are playing a little bit better. But for the, for the number standpoint and what he's done, I thought the world of him. But he can't do it alone. And that's been Derek's, in my issue, that's been Derek Carr's problem his entire career. He doesn't know how to trust his teammates. There's some times where you can't do it all. You can only do what you can do. You've got to have help. And what I mean is that the offensive line has got to protect. Receivers have got to get open. You know, he's also got to deliver the ball. The timing is about, you know, offensive play calling is about rhythm and timing. And when you don't establish one early, it's hard to get that going. You know, the the Raiders, from their standpoint, offensive standpoint, were so used to getting such production out of first and second down, making third downs manageable, that what happens when that doesn't, you can't do that. And for the last two games, that's kind of how it's been. Now, they had the fortune when they played against Kansas City to be able to pick up the slack by, you know, throwing some balls and, you know, getting open and and finding ways to to, to break down the pass defense. But against Atlanta, their most successful offensive plays were 50-50 balls. That's not a consistency. That's not a present. So I'm I'm not going to blame that on Derek for not being able to get that done.
0: Raiders analyst Lincoln Kennedy joining us here on The Zone Earlier in the season, uh, the Packers got off to a decent start, and then they lost, uh, I, I think it was Tampa, if I remember, uh-huh. and Aaron Rodgers talking about where he said, hey, this could be good for us. Uh, how do you fall down in that camp as far as a loss being beneficial to a team?
1: Sometimes you get, you get a chance where you're um, – sometimes you have an instance where you're starting to read your own press. We're talking about, when it comes to the Raiders, the uh, third – I think his third youngest team in the league. Everyone was praising the Raiders after their play against Kansas City. Oh, yeah, they lost, but they look good. They look like gangbusters. There are times where you just need to get smashed in the mouth for you to wake up. Now, the way Gruden is painting him because I played for him, I know what he's saying, is like, you know, from this point on, if you win, you're in. If you guys have aspirations of being a playoff team, you need to take care of business. It starts with the Jets. It's not... Difficult. It's not terribly difficult as say the beginning of this this season, the next five games. But tell you what, it's not necessarily easy as well. You still got to go out there and play. If you start looking down your nose and taking things for granted like they did against Atlanta, you're going to smash them mouth and you're going to be sitting at home watching other teams play in the playoffs. So sometimes a loss can be good because it can wake up a team. We'll see how this team responds. The, uh, the Raiders, I think they're a better team than the New York Jets, but they still have to go out there and do it because you got to remember you know, and, and I've said this all the time in every medium that I've been on, the guys on the other side of the ball get paid, too. Those guys over there, no matter who they are, or one of uh, 32 teams in the National Football League, they're not just going to let you walk all over them. They've got pride, as well.
0: Yeah, really, in the NFL, uh, the parody thing that goes back to Pete Rizal, uh can be on display, and we saw that last Sunday with the Falcons. The Jets, I'm not sure, though, that I could go in that direction but at the same time, as you studied them, what do you think did they do well?
1: Greg Williams has always been a defensive-minded defensive coordinator that has been able to get his guys inspired to play. If you follow his career, his defenses were not horribly terrible. They might not have the playmakers, but you know what? The thing is, the Jets over the last couple of years committed a ton of resources to their defense. Um, I think they ranked, uh, 11th against the run in, 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 in the NFL. Um, I'm not sure where they are in the past, but it, all I'm saying is that there are, you know, we sit here and talk about, as analysts, when you watch a team tank, like what they, you know, you see in basketball or stuff like that, it's not, it's not possible to me to understand, to even fathom how it can happen in football. And what I mean by that is you're not going to walk in the locker room and say, all right, guys, we're just going to go out there and go through the motions. Don't nobody take anything seriously. We're going you know, cause guys are playing for pride. Guys are playing for contracts. Guys are playing for their resumes. Uh, a coach can create a scheme to where the guys can't be successful. That can happen. Um, and I've seen that at times. And most notably, I think it was Miami a couple years ago when they were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. They were playing the defense. They were getting torched on over and over again. And I couldn't understand it until I realized what was that state. Um, so, you know, when it comes to the Jets, you never want to be that team. Every coach I played for has talked up an underperforming team. Better watch out. You better, you, you, you know, look, you better not look twice because you don't want to be the first one. The Jets are 0-11, and I know Gruden is telling his team, you guys don't want to give them the first win. Go out there and take care of business. And as I said before when we talked, I, I think the Raiders are a better team. but yeah. They just have to go out there and perform, and to have to do it. So when it comes to the Jets, they've got some weapons. They've got some teeth. They've got some bite. You've got to go out there and nullify it, jump on them early, and not give them a reason to want to sit around.
0: So they're 0-11 on the other side, the Steelers, and they just played uh, a couple days ago with that uh, weird game that they had going on with uh, Baltimore. That's <laughs> yeah, was fun. I actually enjoyed watching Wednesday afternoon football. Why not? Uh, they're they're 11-0, and and obviously we think of undefeated. Uh, looking at their schedule, they got Washington and Buffalo, Cincinnati, the Colts, and then the Browns. you think they can do it? It's going to be
1: hard, in my opinion, because the injuries are starting to mount. Injuries to, 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 to difference makers. Every championship team has got a difference maker or two. If you look back over the last couple of years, especially on the defensive side, look at what got the San Francisco 49ers to the Super Bowl. A defensive line that could apply pressure with the front four. Now, when that's nullified, they don't have the same teeth as, as you know, other teams do. I think the same thing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're on an unbelievable run. I'm not going to deny that. But as it gets closer, I think the injuries, especially the one to Bud Dupree and the ones that we've seen the, to, to, to Bush and other guys on the, on the defensive side, are going to mount up, and it's going to make them harder for making a championship run. I don't know if they, even the way they are, as well as they played in the position they're in, I don't know if they get past Kansas City in the AFC Championship game, especially with losing those defensive
0: players. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider Analyst, joining us. I wanted to ask you a college football question, but not anything in particular. You know, they're talking about this rule going forward to where they'll give guys an opportunity to transfer once without sitting out, and they've been – very liberal with the waivers now of guys wanting to transfer and not having a red shirt. We've already seen a number of players do that. But I I I was listening to Rick Neuheisel talk, and he was talking about a theory that he felt like, well, this rule, it sounds good to give the players more freedom. He thought that it might actually work against uh, the teams that aren't the powerhouses in college football because his, his point was is that, man, if I get recruited by Alabama, Ohio State, whatnot, and we've seen some high-profile guys leave these places and go, you know, Joe Burrow didn't get to start at Ohio State, goes to LSU, ends up being the number one pick. So the idea being, well, yeah, man, I would love to play for that team because they have a shot to be in a playoff every year. So I'll go there knowing that if I get beat out because of the tremendous amount of NFL talent that they recruit, then I can go... Down a level, or maybe even down two levels, I can go to teams that are ranked in the top 20 but aren't necessarily going to be ranked in the top five. So he felt like that it could help the Ohio States, the Alabamas, those programs of the world get even more talent orig- uh, initially because these guys give it a shot, and if it doesn't work with the, the, the highest of the high, then I can go down to... Uh, texas a&m tcu wherever just use the big 12 as an example what do you think about that
1: you know i have been i've been on the on the on the the, in the mindset that we with the transfer reporter even before these other you know uh, adjustments and whatever it is have happened that we were on the verge of basically amateur free agency with what we had what we've seen and i i never liked it you know I, the people have combated with the conversation Well, Why can't guys choose where they want to go? Coaches do it all the time. My thing is this, is that where, where are we as a society in general if we're getting away from you keeping your word? You want to go to a place? You choose a place. You go through the recruitment process, and you choose to go to Utah. All of a sudden, you're not playing. Should you be left to just jump, ship, and go? You made a commitment. Stand by your word. You know, and if, if it was – the way it initially started to me was the graduation portal. Well, after you graduated and you fulfilled your, your, your responsibilities with that, you had a place to go. I didn't really mind that as much as the open transfer portal as we see now because now right. it's just as you are mentioning it. It's like, guys, oh, well, I'm not playing at Utah. I'm going to go to Utah. Well, no, you committed to Utah. And the fact is the programs don't get those scholarships back for you jumping. You see what I mean? So, yeah. so now it becomes a, an amateur free agency. If you're going to go to the best place that you think that you had to play, why don't you make that decision in the first place? I think we're honestly heading there, and that's why I'm disgruntled with the NC2A as in the general because it's like, look, stop trying to hold on to an amateur status. Call it like it is. Pay the athletes. Because that's exactly what you're doing to so you're taking the money off of their back. Pay the athletes and allow them to go where they want to. And if you want to start signing contracts, then sign contracts. Once upon a time, a scholarship was a contract. But now that's when right. you found a ways that you can wiggle out of that. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's clearly where they're going, and it's becoming uh, – uh, uh, it's, it's like it's like a free for all. And if you talk to college coaches now, they'll say and I, and I think some kids out of high school are going to get hurt by this because what they're doing now is you're going to sign up to 25 guys in a given class. Well, nobody wants to sign that amount because you don't want to max out because you want to have on a traditional year. You want to have guys our scholarships available in the spring because, you know, the transfer situation can be lucrative basically yes. and you can really supplement if not build the strength of your team around transfers.
1: Yep. Totally agree. Totally and, agree. It'd uh,
0: be, be interesting to see how this how this works out because it does look like it's going in this direction and I'm wondering, you know, you have unintended consequences of uh, it's just like what scares me about and I'm all for paying these guys money, right. but what what scares me about it is are they prepared for all the people that are going to be after them? Will the, will the NCAA or some organization set up the platform to educate these young fellows as far as, okay, now you got some money, how do you handle it? I mean, you have to deal with that when you go yeah. from college to the pros. How do you handle it?
1: Well, the thing is that it's very difficult because it's hard to tell what 20, 21-year-olds what to do with more money than they have seen in their life. It right. really is. You know, It's it, it, and trust me, there are times where I've been in front of symposiums with young guys, and I told them straight up, look, you're going to have to go out there and lose some money to understand how valuable it is. You're going to, you're going to have to go through some of life's trials and tribulations, whether that's through women, whether that's through gambling, whether that's through bad investments, whatever. You're going to have to experience it because you don't know otherwise. You've never been in that lifestyle. And I'm not smart enough to sit there and figure out how they can collectively do it across the uh, across the, uh, the, the, the the scope of things or the NCAA. two A because in all honesty, if it comes down to paying athletes and it comes down on the scale of what you you know, what you bring in versus what you put out, you know, let's let's face it, let's face that. The SEC is gonna pay a lot more than the Pac twelve. So what's the incentive for a guy going to the Pac twelve? Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, I so you. I mean, I mean and that's that's another conversation for another day. But along those lines, when you're talking about the scope of paying from paying guys, you're also talking about how to properly manage them. I I honestly believe that you know we we have to uh, create incentives for guys wanting to be successful. I'm of the mindset that if you're paying NC two E athletes, why don't you give them a stipend or a bonus for graduating? Show the incentive of collecting a degree, because then you can only say that, you know, we've done our part. We empowered them. You know, when I was going through college, they always said that they told me that before we signed the national letter of intent, no matter how long it takes for you to graduate, you'll have a chance to graduate at University of Washington. You might have to come back as a graduate assistant. You might have to work off your debt, but you'll have a chance to graduate. There's a place for you. Now that was a little bit of an incentive for me because it's like you know what, I mean, even even if I'm not strong at school and it takes me longer than I than I expect, so be it. But you know, it gives you the incentive to graduate because the money is so great and it's out there and it's in everybody's faces. Why not give the old, the the two a athlete say, look, if you graduate, there's a stipend of x amount of dollars waiting for you at the end. Here's your cash at the end of rainbow. We want you to graduate. Something like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Good thoughts. I appreciate them. All right, well I suspect next week we'll be talking to you after a win. If I not, you. I don't I don't know what to say. I mean they they don't want to lose to the Jets by any stretch. Thanks no, for joining I, I us. Totally we appreciate did. it. Thank you, Lincoln. Hey,
1: have a good one, man. Good weekend.